Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, uh, this morning I want to start with a confession on behalf of my family that uh, my wife Lauren loves to drink. Yes, you heard that right. She loves to drink. Uh, now, she's also a Baptist, so it's not, I'm t- not talking about wine or, uh, or, or, or beer or vodka cruises. She loves to drink water, and she drinks a lot of water. She drinks a lot of water. Uh, she's, she's got a, a water bottle that she carries around with her all the time. I'm not sure if you're one of those people who carries a water bottle around all the time, but wherever she goes, Lauren takes this water bottle so that she can have a sip if she feels thirsty. You know, uh, she's had the current water bottle for, uh, for, for six months, which is some kind of record, and that water bottle actually keeps her water cool. So, so she doesn't just have water on hand, she has cool water on hand whenever she needs it through the day. You know, she, uh, she needs that water. She has that water all the time. I'm a little different when it comes to my, uh, my drinking habits. I will uh, down a, a half liter of water at some point early in the day and then probably forget to drink more water until later in the afternoon. And who do you reckon the kids have followed in all of that? Mum, of course. The kids have followed mum because she's kind of pressured them in that as well. She's gonna got a, a water bottle for each of them, uh, a color-coded, name-tagged water bottle that, uh, that they never leave, never leaves their side. Well, we're getting outside, we're leaving the house, trying to get in the car, juggling kids and juggling water bottles. Things are going everywhere. But uh, these kids now, our kids, they carry their water bottles around wherever they go. You know, my, uh, my youngest daughter, Quinn, she, uh, she doesn't have a, a soft, cuddly toy uh, that she uses as a security blanket when she sleeps. You know, a lot of people, a lot of little babies have a security blanket that, that they sleep with. Quinn has a security water bottle. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not joking here. She has a, a water bottle that she sleeps with through the night, excuse me. Uh, she sleeps with through the night so that at any time she wakes up and she's thirsty, she can have a drink. She's following in, in mummy's footsteps. Now everywhere, everywhere we go, Laurie takes her water. She brought her water bottle here. She's got three water bottles in her uh, handbag this morning. But everywhere she goes, she takes these water bottles, this water bottle. She can't do without it. And so there's a regular time that happens in our, uh, in our world, in our life, where she goes through a trauma because she doesn't have access to her water. And that's every time we go on board a plane. Every time we go through security in airport, I'm sure you've experienced this, they don't trust you with the, the water in the water bottle, and so it has to go. One way or another, either tipped in the bin or, or, or consumed, that bottle has to be empty. And poor old Laurie, it's, a, it's an ordeal for her every time we travel, because for 10 minutes at the max, 10 minutes, she's, uh, she's without water. And it's not until we get through security and she runs off to find the nearest water fountain that she can refill that bottle and drink from it. I'm not sure if you're like that. There's some of you who are here who are like that. There's some of you who know someone who is like that. But I want to share with you this morning a little secret that we've actually found a loophole so that Laurie doesn't even need to give up the water when she goes through security at the airport. It's, it's amazing. I want to encourage you if, you're, uh, if that's somebody, if you know somebody who likes their water, write this down because it's, it's, a, it's a lifesaver. You know, for those 10 minutes, you can keep your water bottle. And the trick is you need to go through security with a baby. 
go through security with a baby because the, the security agents just, uh, they, they just assume that the water is for the baby. We went through uh, Los Angeles airport once and the security uh, agent said, uh, ma'am, is that water for the baby? And Lauren said, no, it's my water. He said, let me ask again, is that water for the baby? <laughs> oh yeah, sure, 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 yeah. <clears throat> but if you go through security with a baby, you can hold on to your water and you don't have to give it up for those 10 minutes. The only problem we found with that strategy is that then you have to hold onto the baby for the entire flight. So I don't know if it's gonna work for everybody. But we all get thirsty, right? We all need water. I don't know if you've bought a water bottle to church this morning or you know somebody who has, but we all get thirsty. We all know what it's like to feel that thirst within us. Without water in our lives, we get dehydrated, we begin to fatigue, we can't think clearly. We need water not just to survive, but to thrive. And drinking water is, is fundamental to our survival. And we're incredibly fortunate here in Australia that it's really easy to quench our thirst when, we're, when we need it. We simply turn on a tap or, or open a bottle, or some of us even have fridges that you just fill the glass with ice and water by pushing a button. And it's easy for us to quench our thirst when we feel physically thirsty. But there's a different kind of thirst that we encounter in life as well. We don't just go through times in our life when we're physically thirsty. There are times in our lives when we are spiritually thirsty as well. There are times in our life when we are starting to search, that was a good catch, when we're starting to search for a deeper meaning and purpose in our lives. Now, you've tried chasing after, after possessions or relationships or career advancement, but those things just don't seem to be giving you the purpose and the meaning that you deeply desire. Now, you're spiritually thirsty. You know, there are times when you have a strong desire for God to, to prove or to show Himself because you're just not really sure if He's really there for you and you could really do with some help right now. You're spiritually thirsty. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, maybe there's been times in your lives when you, when you just feel dry and empty on your walk with God. Or, or you're struggling with something that you know that you can't fix on your own. You know that only God can bring that change to your situation or healing to your brokenness. You know, you're spiritually thirsty. You know, it's true that just as we get physically thirsty, we also get spiritually thirsty. You know, maybe it's not that frequent. It's probably not as obvious. And, and sometimes it's maybe not even as clear what to do about it. But we do experience spiritual thirstiness. And this morning, I believe that God wants to take us on a journey, and He wants to fill us with His Spirit, do a miracle in our lives, do a powerful thing in our lives. The last few weeks, we've been uh, working through the story of Exodus, the story of the Israelites' salvation as they, uh, as they embark on a journey with God. We've seen them rescued from the, the hands of the Egyptian slave drivers. We've seen God provide miraculously for them as He's delivered them through the Red Sea. And we've seen how God has provided for the needs of His people. But today we're going to explore a part of their journey where they are thirsty, both physically and spiritually. And we're just going to watch how God leads them through that. I would invite you to uh, open your Bibles if you've bought them this morning. Don't worry if you haven't, the words will pop up on the screen. But I encourage you to open your, uh, your, your Bible to Exodus chapter 15. We're going to read uh, a, a short passage this morning and we're going to start at, uh, at verse 22 to pick up the story. 
Exodus 15 verse 22 says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. And if you look in your footnotes, it actually sort of says that Marah in Hebrew means bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Now, three days without water. Poor Laurie, she would have really, really struggled. But in fact, let's face it, we all would have struggled. You know, these guys are thirsty. Two million people and countless animals are are struggling to stay on their feet. You know, the desert is a harsh and unforgiving environment. And I can just imagine as they've crossed the Red Sea with great hope and faith, that they start their journey out through the desert with, uh, with joy and with excitement, and they're walking pretty quickly. But over time, as the days continue to drag on, as the, as the, 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 the sun continues to bear down, as the, the sand continues to get blown in their face, they get slower and slower and slower. They're, they're, they're slowing to a plod. They are absolutely desperate. They are crying out to have their thirst quenched and they finally come to this place where finally, after three days, there's some water. They are desperate. They are desperate for it. But as they look at this water, it looks a little sus. It didn't come in a water cooler like this, obviously. But the water looks a little bit sus and then they... They kind of draw some out, and it, it, it looks bad. It smells bad, but they're kind of desperate. And so they, they go to drink some of the water. Oh, it's disgusting. It's bitter. It's undrinkable. And they spit it out. Imagine the pain of, of wandering around for three whole days without water and ending up finding a place that won't quench your thirst. They're devastated. And so they grumble. They whinge. They begin whining to Moses, complaining about their situation. You know, what are you going to do about it, Moses? They ask. Moses, how can you quench our thirst? How can you meet our needs, Moses? The water's bitter. But they are bitter as well. And right there in their desperation, God steps in. And it's a great teaching moment. It's an opportunity for God to teach the Israelites something about Himself. See, when the Israelites come to Marah, they have an urgent physical thirst. They are desperately thirsty. But they actually have a deep spiritual thirst, whether they realize it or not, that is also being unmet or is growing, God is growing um, the the, the solution to that thirst. See, they've been living in Egypt for for generations, and the Egyptians have got all of these foreign gods. They've got different gods for different things, and they they worship them in different ways. And the Israelites who've been living in the, uh, the, the Egyptian nation have kind of lost sight of the great I Am. Now, they've forgotten who He is. You know, they, they, their, their forefathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, may have had a really intimate relationship with God. 
But after a whole stack of generations have passed, the Israelites have forgotten. But they're spiritually thirsty. They are thirsty for, for real, uh, for, for God. They're thirsty for answers. They're thirsty for a God who will lead them. And God has been doing great things. He has rescued them from that pagan world. He has brought them through the Red Sea. He's teaching them little bit by little bit. But here at Morah, there is a great opportunity that God takes to show them more about who He is and who He promises to be for them. And this is a significant moment. Many of the Israelites are meeting God for the first time. He's reintroducing Himself to them. And he uses this moment to address both their physical thirst and their spiritual thirst. The story continues in verse 25. Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There, the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all of His decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. In this moment, God powerfully shows His people who He is. He meets their physical thirst, but he, he invests into them in a spiritual way as well. Now, he says that he is a healer. God is a healer. He's a God who can remove all types of bitterness. He's a God who can bring health. He's a God who can do incredible things. And God shows this to the Israelites by doing a supernatural act and by making a supernatural promise. God miraculously transforms this bitter water into something that is sweet, is drinkable, is going to quench their thirst. You know, as, God, as Moses cries out to God in faith, God directs Moses to a piece of wood. And when Moses throws that wood into the water, the water becomes drinkable again. That's just not a, a natural kind of thing that happens. You don't go to the, uh, the lake uh, over at Stratty that's full of salt and chuck a piece of, uh, of wood in and expect it to become drinkable. You know, God has done a miracle through this moment. And to be honest with you, if I was there, I reckon I'd be letting a few people go before me just to test that the water is actually good. You know, you can come in front, you can come in front, I'd be watching them for a little while, make sure that they don't keel over and then... I'd, uh, I'd go and uh, be drinking that water. But God provided. God did a miracle. He, he met the Israelites' physical needs, saving them from their thirst. But He actually does more than that. He, he, addresses, he addresses their spiritual thirst as well. He, he makes a promise about how He is going to be their God moving forward. He shows them more about who He is. He introduces Himself as the God who heals. He builds relationship with his people in which he promises to take care of their physical needs and their spiritual needs as they follow him. God is a God who heals. I wonder how you sit with that statement today. I reckon a number of in this room come, come with a bunch of different perspectives to, to that. For some of you who are here today, you've got, you've got full faith that this statement is absolutely true. 
You know, you know that God is a healer. You've experienced it. Either you or somebody close to you has been, uh, been healed by God and it's only through His power that He has done that. And you are rock solid in your faith that God is a God who heals. There are some of you here this morning who, uh, who believe that God heals, but you're desperate to see it. You believe with your head, but maybe you haven't yet to see with your own eyes that God is a healer. And maybe there are still others of you here this morning who are, are questioning whether God is actually real anyway. Or maybe you've been hurt by some of the, the controversy around this whole question that, of, of healing. However you're sitting with the statement that God is a God who heals, this morning I wanna encourage you that that's okay. God is big enough for your questions. But He wants to show you more of who He is. Just like he introduced himself to the Israelites as a God who looks after both the physical and spiritual needs of his people. I believe that even this morning, God is inviting you to encounter him, to encounter him as a God who still heals today. I just wanna have a quick look at, at some of the ways that God heals. Uh, and we're gonna pray for healing this morning. We're gonna pray for people who need a touch from God. Firstly, uh, God heals medically. God heals medically. God promises in this passage here that if His people listen, if His people follow, if His people do what is right in His eyes, if they pay attention to His commands and keep all of His decrees, then He promises to not bring on them the sicknesses that He brought on the Egyptians, <clears throat> that He would save them from sickness. Later in their Exodus journey, God actually gives them a bunch of laws, a bunch of instructions around seemingly almost mundane issues. God gives laws and instructions around things like sanitation, like public hygiene, childbirth, food storage, and even sewage disposal. Now, these instructions might seem a little bit mundane, and if you read through the book of Leviticus, you're going, what on earth are these here for? But these instructions are showing God's people how to live within the design of His creation, how to navigate the way that the world works in order to be saved from sickness. Although they didn't realize that these instructions were like a, a primitive medical textbook that saved people from being ill. Many of the practices that God instructed to His people were revolutionary. And it's taken medical and public health experts even thousands of years to, uh, to see the wisdom in them. Here's just a couple of fascinating examples. In the biblical book of Leviticus, which is a hard slog to get through, let's acknowledge that. God gives the people of Israel, or the Israelites, explicit instructions on what to do if they notice someone has leprosy. The infected person was to be placed outside the camp their clothes, their bedding, their house was to be disinfected and they were to wear a mask and they would come back and check in with the priest from time to time to see if they'd been healed and they would be allowed back into the community. Now, other nations didn't have those kinds of instructions and so sickness would sweep through and decimate populations. But the Israelites were saved from sickness. This practice was, uh, was so far ahead of modern times that the origins of the word quarantine, which is exactly what this is all about, didn't even exist until the 14th century AD. And further, God instructed His people on, on what to do to ensure that water stayed clean. 
You know, he told them that containers must be destroyed if they came into contact with, uh, with, with unclean water. You know, that the physician, again, that, that, presented, oh, excuse me, that prevented sickness from spreading across their, uh, their people. There's a guy called uh, Dr. Rendell Short. He was a physician and a, an examiner in the Royal College of Sermons, uh, Sermons Surgeons, <laughs> Surgeons, in the 1950s. And uh, he noted the importance of, uh, of clean water supply was one of the major discoveries of modern public health services. He says that only around the beginning of the 20th century was it recognized that typhoid fever in England, cholera in India, and many other diseases were spread principally through polluted water. You see, in these laws and rituals that God is giving his people, many, many uh, hundreds of years before they were kind of discovered to be medical truth, God is giving wise, sound medical principles to, to protect his people from sickness and disease. And he still heals through medical means today. I'm amazed what modern medicine can do today. Modern medicine keeps unlocking more and more of God's truth and, and understanding of God's design. God uses medicine and medical professionals to bring healing today. I know there's a bunch of medicos and nurses and, and health professionals in this, uh, in this church. I know a bunch of them met yesterday just to, uh, to seek God together. And I'm in, in awe of, of what work they do. And my father-in-law, Neil, he's a Gateway Beyond worker, and he serves a big chunk of the year in a Christian hospital in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And to hear some of the stories that he shares about what, what God uh, uses the people in that hospital to do is just extraordinary. There's a story that he shares, and you may have heard it, but there was a young woman who, uh, who was, uh, was wanting to take her own life. And so one day she consumed a whole stack of acid to, uh, to try and take her own life. Fortunately, she was unsuccessful in, uh, in taking her own life, but she burnt her entire esophagus out. And she was uh, incredibly ill, a lot of pain, and she couldn't eat. There's some really disturbing stuff that was going on in her body. Well, her, uh, her friends or family, whoever, brought her into this hospital, this Christian hospital, and, uh, and asked, hey, is there anything you can do? And Neil and his, his team kind of researched it, figured it out, and they ended up taking part of her intestine and turning it into a, an, an esophagus so that she could continue to eat and, and gain health. Today, that young lady is, uh, is uh, it's an incredible story. God has healed her. She's uh, happily married. She, her third child is, is on the way. She's pregnant with her third child. She's faithfully following Jesus. And she's been healed in body, mind, and spirit. Now, God, God is a God who heals. And he uses medical and uh, medicine and medical things, methods, to do so. But there are also times when God breaks out of the normal. And he heals through the miraculous. There are examples all through the Old Testament of, of God healing miraculously. And when God sent his son Jesus to, uh, to live amongst us, one of his biographers in, in the Gospels, Matthew, he wrote that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and get this, healing every disease and sickness. God is a God who heals miraculously. And when you read the stories of, of Jesus, you can't deny his miraculous power to heal. 
even when he does it in some very unorthodox ways. Now Jesus heals a blind man by picking up some dirt and spitting into it, rubbing it together and placing it into the blind man's eyes. He, he, he heals a, a lady who has been, uh, got chronic bleeding. She just reaches out to touch Jesus' cloak and she's healed. And later in the book of Acts, there's people who, uh, who collect the, the handkerchiefs that the Apostle Paul touched and send them to the sick and they are healed. That's amazing. I don't want to encourage you this morning to go around and pick up all the snotty tissues in this uh, auditorium and send them to people. I don't really want to encourage that. But God is a God who heals miraculously. For me, I'll just share a little honestly for a minute. For me, that's been a real journey. You know, as a young person, I wasn't really exposed to a huge number of miraculous things that God did. There weren't a whole number of stories in the faith community that I grew up even hearing about the miracles that God was doing outside the Bible. <clears throat> when, when I put my trust in Jesus at age 21, I thought that was a pretty significant miracle in itself. But probably, if I'm really honest, I was still a, a little bit skeptical about whether God still did miracles today. Sometimes there's just controversy and unanswered questions around some of the miracles you hear about, and, and I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. My head understood it. You know, if God was the creator of heaven and earth, surely he could do anything. I didn't doubt that, that the Bible was true, that, that God could heal. I just hadn't seen it with my own eyes. My eyes wanted to see, my heart wanted to know that he still healed miraculously today. And one day God uh, blessed me in this, this incredible experience that, that flipped my doubts on their head and completely changed my theology around this. It was about 15 years ago in my early 20s. I'd, uh, I'd just spend, uh, I was spending a few months in New Zealand, just outside of Christchurch actually, uh, on a, a Christian ministry school with young people from all around the world. And uh, there was this guy from Norway who was part of this school. His name was Martin. And uh, Martin was a, was a radical kind of guy, but a really good guy, a guy after God's own heart. Uh, but Martin had, uh, had had this skin condition. He had this skin condition that affected his arms, and uh, he had what looked like dozens or maybe hundreds, maybe not quite hundreds, but a lot of these kind of scabs and scars on his arm. And there was no real, he had no real idea how they'd, they'd gotten there. He'd visited doctors. Uh, they had tried to help, but they couldn't find an answer. He'd had this condition for years. And he wasn't really sure what, it, what to do with it. But one night, as a few of us gathered around, we're just praying in our dormitory for Martin. We're praying for a few people, but we start praying for Martin. And we just start praying that God would do a miracle in Martin's life. And we start praying for the, the skin condition that Martin had on his arms. And as we're praying there, and uh, at that time, it was probably for me just a little bit skeptical, but we're praying and, and suddenly Martin says, hey guys, this is really weird, but I feel this tingly sensation going up and down my arms. And so we're continuing to pray into that. And then, uh, and then Martin says, hey, look, God's doing something. And I look, I open my eyes and just right in front of me, and I can't even really explain how this is happening, but these skin scars and scabs just start to heal up. They start to literally disappear before my eyes and, and clear skin uh, is, is there in their place. 
And we continue to pray about it and continue to, 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 to pray into that. And over the, the next uh, few minutes and then hours and then the next day or two, Martin's arms were completely healed. You could not tell that he had any skin condition at all. Isn't that amazing? Awesome. <clears throat> I, I was completely blown away. I'm not sure that any of us in that room had, had seen God move powerfully to that extent before. We were all pretty young. But God, God just flipped my thinking on its head, flipped my theology upside down. And from that day forward, I've been so fortunate to see God heal people miraculously in many different ways. But through that experience, God birthed in Martin an incredible faith and passion for following Jesus. And Martin is in Norway now living a crazy life, uh, drawing people to, uh, to Jesus and, and, and being a, a crazy man for the gospel. And God has done something in my heart as well. He's helped me believe. He's shown to me that he is a God who still heals miraculously today. God heals miraculously today. So God heals medically God heals miraculously, and God heals eternally. However God heals us in this lifetime, that healing is only going to be temporary on this earth. Whether we like it or not, at some point we are going to be laid to rest. Our time walking this earth will come to an end, and our bodies will cease to function unless Jesus comes before then. But the promise God gives to all those who trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour is that there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering in eternity. After receiving a revelation from God about what eternity looks like, John writes in Revelation 21, he says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is God. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And that's the promise that we have in Jesus for those who put their trust in Him, for those who believe that He rose from the dead, God promises an eternity where every sickness is permanently healed. There's no more cancer, no more depression, no more suffering, no more pain. A future where everyone is able to fully and wholly worship God without worrying about when that next scan is, that upcoming surgery, or, or when that next anxiety attack will take place. God is a God who heals. God heals medically, God heals miraculously, and God heals eternally. God turned bitter water into something that was drinkable, and He's still in the business of healing today. And a little while later, we're gonna pray that God would do a mighty healing work amongst us this morning. But before we do that, I, I wanna acknowledge that this topic brings a lot of questions. Questions like, God, why don't you heal, why don't you heal some people through, why do you heal some people through medicine and some people through miracles? God, why don't you, why do you heal some people now, but others have to wait until the next life? And even more personally, maybe you're asking this question this morning, God, why aren't you healing me? I know there's many here today who are battling illnesses of all kinds or are struggling with the, the sickness of a loved one. Where is God when life feels bitter, when sickness lingers, when God hasn't brought that healing touch yet? These are, are deep 
questions. They're personal questions. And this morning, I've invited one of our, our own church family who's been asking these questions to, uh, to come and share some of the answers that they've shared with us. I hope you'll be encouraged by her story. So would you welcome Judy Weston as she, uh, as she comes to share this morning. As Jude comes, I know that, uh, that God's been taking her on, a, on an incredible uh, story, and I really appreciate your uh, bravery in, uh, in sharing this morning, but we'd love to hear what you've got to share with us. On the 8th of February 2008 was the first full-blown attack of uh, a chronic illness that has really just crippled my life ever since. It was eventually diagnosed as vestibular migraines, which would put me in bed for weeks. My eyes would flicker madly, uncontrollably, and that caused severe vomiting. Um, I couldn't sit up, I couldn't stand up, I couldn't walk in any way, I was just totally disabled. Then at the beginning of 2016, God started to draw me in really, really close to him, and this incredible journey with him began. I found myself sitting at the cross daily, and learning to love him in a much deeper way. Gratitudes became my favorite thing and worship just seemed to go on endlessly. Then one night the most vile attack hit and after my husband Doug did everything he could for me, he went and he got my little speaker and put on my worship music which was always my request. And then as he was leaving the room, my eyes were closed and still flicking, but I had a vision of my Savior's face right in front of me. And as I locked my eyes on him, a bigger smile just came over my face. It was just quite incredible. Then the Lord at the same time gave me a vision and it was of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And he showed me that they were in a fiery furnace. But at the same time, he also showed me that I was in a fiery furnace as well. And I said, Lord, I said, they're walking around their fiery furnace and they're not getting burnt. They're not getting harmed in any way. But I said, I'm feeling all the effects of my illness. I'm the one that's suffering and I feel the pain. I nearly said to the Lord, but Lord, that's not fair. But I didn't because at that point in time, my joy was complete. My eyes were locked on him. I knew that he had me. The enemy could touch my body, but he could not touch my soul because that belonged to the Lord and it was well with my soul. It was there that the Lord laid a table before me in the presence of my enemies and he said, come up here, come and sup with me. And I did. The valley has been the deepest, darkest pit that I have ever had to endure. But it was proven to be the tool that the Lord used to bring me to a place of beauty beyond compare, a place of intimacy, a place of romance, a place um, that I was being introduced to the Lord as my beloved, a place of knowing who I am in Christ and a place where I have literally flourished. I must tell you that the valley is the most beautiful place that I have ever experienced. I've had the sweetest times with Jesus at a hog close to my heart. I found darkness to be my friend because darkness led me to Jesus and to lean on him where I found I had courage and strength in him that I didn't realize that I had. 
The joy of the Lord became my strength and God has brought beauty from ashes in my life. I have been able to find joy and peace in this bitter season and it has made my faith unshakable and my sweet. His name is Jesus Christ and I believe I will get my miracle. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jude. You can take that if you want. Yeah. Thanks, Judy. What an incredibly uh, brave testimony, an incredibly true testimony. And even when life is bitter, even when there are times of testing, even when sickness remains unhealed, God wants to meet our spiritual thirst. Just like the Israelites who came to that, that bitter water at Marah, when we go through our own personal morale, when we, are only, when we are spiritually thirsty, complaining won't help. Making others miserable won't get us anywhere. Now our hope and our help, as Judy points out, is found only in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. He and only He can quench our spiritual thirst. And He calls us to worship Him, to rest in Him, to trust in Him. You've probably been sitting here all morning thinking, what on earth is it with these trees? And what is it with this church and these trees that are always on stage? Well, there's a beautiful part of this, uh, at the end of this Exodus account, which we haven't read yet. And it contains, I think, an incredible truth uh, for, for all of us that we don't want to miss this morning. See, God made the, the bitter water at Marah fit to drink. But I'm sure it still wasn't the purest water that the Israelites had ever tasted. And I'm guessing there probably wasn't a huge amount of it. God introduces himself as a God who heals, but he's about to show his people that he is also a God who blesses. He is a God who meets our physical needs as well as our spiritual needs. You know, shortly after the Israelites left Marah, Exodus 15, 27 says that then they came to a place called Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees and they camped there near the water. They camped right here under the shade and the streams that this place Elam provided. Elam simply means tree. Now, they're not that creative with their name. It just means tree. But it was a place where the Israelites could just come and rest in God's presence. There were, there were 12 uh, str uh, streams or 12 springs of water, one for each of the, the tribes of Israel, and there was clean, bountiful water. There were 70 palm trees, 70 palm trees, one for each of the, uh, the, the, the elders of Israel. And the Israelites just sat there and they just enjoyed God's presence and camped for a while. That water tastes so much better. But this is a, a wonderful, beautiful picture. Now, Elim was a place of shade and streams. It was a place where the people could rest a little, be refreshed both physically and spiritually, and they could be refreshed and restored by God. See, beyond the bitterness of Marah was a blessing of Elam. Now, it wasn't the end of the journey. The promised land was still a fair way away, but it was a beautiful place to stay and camp and just be refreshed by God's presence. 
This is a beautiful picture of what God does for his people and what he does for us today as well. See, we might go through morale, our own personal bitterness, our own personal uh, struggles, but Elam, a place of blessing is just around the corner. You might have physical and spiritual needs, but God, God wants to address both. No matter what challenges that we face, God wants his people, God wants us to drink deeply of him, to find our hope in his presence, to find our trust in who he is. And this actually points us to Jesus, who uh, said of himself in John chapter 7, he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is our Elam. Our blessing lies in his presence. He sends us his Holy Spirit to, to quench not just our physical, but also our spiritual thirst. And Jesus provides for us and refreshes us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. All of us travel through Marah at some stage. Perhaps you're even there this morning. You're, you're passing through your own Marah right now. And you are carrying a, a bunch of bitterness. You are going through pain and suffering. You believe that God is a healer, but you're just not experiencing that right now. I want to encourage you this morning that beyond every Marah, there is an Elam. There is a hope and a blessing to be found in the name of Jesus. If you were here this morning and, and you are thirsty, you are thirsty for God, Jesus wants to meet that need. And He calls you simply to trust Him, to obediently follow Him, and to enjoy His presence. This morning, we would, uh, we would love to pray for you, if that's you. As we've been praying and preparing for this, uh, this weekend, really believe that God actually wants to do a mighty work in people's lives. He actually wants to, to, to bring a healing touch to people's life. And this morning, we're gonna offer an opportunity to, uh, to pray with you if you are going through your own morale. If you have a spiritual or a physical need that only God can meet. I believe that God wants to move in a mighty way this morning and He, he wants to heal people in body, mind and spirit. And if that's you this morning and, and you can identify with that, I'm, I'm going to lead us through some specifics, but I encourage you to stand. You get, just get ready to, to be prayed for this morning. You know, maybe you're here this morning and, and you're, you need, uh, you're struggling in your body. You need healing in your physical condition. Your body is constantly aching and you, you can't get relief. You've just received some bad test results and things don't look good. Or you have a sickness that you just can't shake. If you're here this morning and you need God to physically do something powerful in your life, I wanna encourage you to stand right now. We're gonna gather around you, we're gonna pray. Encourage you to stand if that's you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you, you need God's healing in your mind. You know, you, you need God to, to, to do a healing work in your mind. You just can't shake those negative thoughts, you know, those behaviours, you just can't stop doing them. Or you're coming, when you're even coming to church this morning, you experienced anxiety. 
I want to encourage you to stand. I believe God wants to do a work this morning. We'd love to pray for you. Or maybe you need a healing touch in your spirit. You, can't just, you just can't let go of the guilt. You can't let go of, of the, the, the shame that you're carrying. And that reconciled relationship is just not happening. You need God to reach in and do something powerful. If that's you here this morning, I just wanna encourage you to stand because we're gonna pray for you. We're gonna gather around and pray. If you need a healing touch from God this morning and you're not already standing, can I encourage you to jump on your feet? And as the church this morning, it's gonna get a little bit messy, but I wanna encourage us all to jump up around and just gather around somebody who's standing and, and, uh, and lay hands on them. We're gonna pray for them in a minute. So why don't you do that? Just jump up, uh, just pray for our brothers and sisters. Get around. If you're standing and you, you need God's healing touch, I wanna encourage you just to share really briefly with the people around you what it is that you need that touch for. It might be as simple as just saying, hey, I need God's touch in my body or my mind or my spirit. And we're just gonna start praying. Right now, all across this room, we're just gonna be uh, reaching out and, and praying that God would do a healing work in the people that we're standing around. We just pray that God would do a mighty thing. Father God, would you just do an incredible thing this morning? Lord, we know that you're a powerful. We know that you're a good, good Father. We know that you're a God who heals miraculously. And this morning, we have our brothers and our sisters standing up. This morning, Lord, they need a healing touch from you. God, you are a God who wants to give good gifts to His children. This morning, Lord God, we pray that you would bring healing in body, in mind, in spirit. And just as we pray, I wanna encourage you to continue to pray. And Matt's just gonna play some music just to encourage you to continue to pray bold prayers of faith that God would heal this morning. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.